Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me again for an episode on Psalm 31 is Dr. Libby Backfish. I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode. It was rich for me. We talked about the metaphors in Psalm 31 of God as being a protector and a deliverer. We talked about the way that this psalm echoes throughout scripture, how its words get picked up over and over again, not least of all, in fact, maybe ultimately, in the mouth of Jesus and what that means. And we also talked about the tension and how we live and pray this psalm in a world where we are both called to trust God and yet still have troubles. Like I said, it's a rich conversation. I hope you enjoy it. To get us started, here's Libby reading Psalm 31. For the director of music, a psalm of David. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish, and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors, and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all, on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Libby, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Well, thanks for having me. I, I kind of invited myself back for this one. <laughs> I feel a little well, guilty right. about that. that's right. I was about to say, this is our first reserved by a guest episode. <laughs> you know, there's no open table, you know, or anything like that for podcasting where you can make reservations online, but somehow you found your way 
onto this one on Psalm 31. I feel pushy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. You did. You graciously said when I reached out to you about it, you know, if there's someone else who would like to do this one, I'm happy to beg off. So I do want to, on the record, say that Libby did not force her way onto the podcast, but she was more than welcomed and definitely invited. But I'm looking forward to talking with you about this psalm. Shall we just dive in? Sure. Let's do it. All right, Libby, let's start with our first question. What stood out to you, Libby, in reading this psalm? There's so much here, but I think the thing that struck me the most were all the metaphors in this psalm. Oh. Yeah, tons of metaphors, um, especially metaphors about God being a protector. So we see him being the refuge, a fortress, a shelter, a rock. Yeah. In verse 3, it's interesting because it says, You're indeed my rock and my fortress. For your namesake, lead me and guide me. And that strikes me as a little funny. Like, how can a rock lead and guide someone? It almost seems like a mixed <laughs> metaphor. But uh, it's talking about God's protection. And, and it reminded me of 1 Corinthians 10.4. I don't know if you're familiar with that offhand, so I will read it for you. That's gracious of you. <laughs> I know you probably have all of it memorized, but just in case you don't know. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> don't believe that. It's talking about Israel wandering around the wilderness, and it says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, and they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And it kind of hmm. reminded me of that imagery of, yes, God is their rock, or Christ is their rock, and it, and the rock was like with them through the wilderness, which seems kind of silly. In fact, some rabbinic interpreters have considered that the rock literally followed them around for those 40 years in the wilderness. Oh. <laughs> but, but clearly, you know, Paul recognized that this is a metaphor for God providing for them, and Paul was just saying, hey, Christ fits that that function as well. He provides for us just like God was providing for his people in the Old Testament. Mm. So I was I was feeling a lot of kind of numbers mojo, as Kevin would say, when I was reading <laughs> those metaphors. I was like, hey, I think yeah. that reminds me of numbers and what Paul is looking at. Yeah, I love that. As I was doing just a little bit of reading about the psalm, this commentator I was reading was talking about how these words find their ways into all different mouths in scripture. And so Jeremiah particularly that terror on every side language comes up for him over and over. And the ways that this psalm, obviously, maybe we'll talk more about the ways that Jesus himself picks up some of these words. Mm. But I love I love having you on, Libby, because your instincts to go intertextual are so rich, I think, in the ways that the psalms are always speaking, not just to themselves uh, and about, yeah, about the story of the people of Israel, but their echoes sort of resonate all throughout uh, scripture. So I love when you point that out to us. Well, and I think the Psalms really invite us to do that because the Psalms were written as a way to reflect on the other parts yeah. of scripture. And then the New Testament writers knew that and they're picking up the Psalms and just have this. It's like when you when you can skip a stone on the surface of a, of a lake and just bounces yeah, all yeah, the yeah. way through. <laughs> what particularly stood out to me, and there's not, I don't really have a fully formed thought around this. Libby, but maybe we can tease something out that's interesting, is the emphasis in verse 17 about being put to shame. Let me not be put to shame, Mm. Lord, for I've cried out to you, but let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Mm -hmm. I have maybe a couple thoughts about why this language of shame stood out to me. Maybe I've been thinking about shame recently a little bit, but I do remember when I was in college taking maybe a Bible backgrounds course, I think, where part of the conversation was about how the context, particularly the biblical context, the culture was so much uh, more honor shame than our own context. Like that that was such a prominent 
framework of how you interact with others and it, it was externalized in community in such a way and i was thinking okay like kind of hearing hearing that and is is true but also like i'm part of i wonder if the reason it stood out to me is because there is a sense in which i can i just relate to that a little bit closer through a pandemic which is to maybe timestamp when we're recording. But I think about, you know, I think our our culture is swimming in shame as well, right? Often, though, I think it is maybe internalized or it's not built into the structures of our society in quite the same way. But masking and some of the, some of the things around mandates and whether you follow them, whether you don't, when you're in a group, has just to me lately felt like such a interesting externalization of this shaming culture, where it's like if I'm in a group, or even if I'm walking somewhere, even outside, and the majority of people around me have masks, and maybe I'm not masked for whatever reason in that moment, like I start to feel some of that, like that social pressure. Does that does that make sense? Do you it, resonate it, at all with this? I am totally resonating because when I first read the psalm, I I kind of thought, yeah, I, I don't come from a shame culture, so that line doesn't really right. resonate with me, even though it's repeated twice, and it clearly was important for ancient Israelites. But now that you compare it to the protocols and the masking, there is like the shame factor. And, it's, you know, if you mask or you don't mask, you're going to feel kind of ashamed in one group or another. And Yeah, it was just an interesting thing where I felt there was a resonance with that just because of this interesting layer of our society right now that I don't know that I would have felt before. So it just felt like, you know, an interesting <laughs> You know, talk about a poem from thousands of years ago that suddenly brings some resonance and it's like, oh, yeah, no, I feel that in a kind of in a slightly different, more accessible way than maybe I would have glossed it in the past. So, yeah, another area I feel shame. I know I talk about parenting all the time on your podcast, but it's just it's a big part of me and it's a big part of you, too. Uh, I think we have a tendency to feel shame in the parenting realm, especially maybe when little Oliver gets bigger and you take him to preschool and maybe he's not the best boy one day. And there's this shame. Everything reflects on. I know it wouldn't happen, but, you know, (laughs) hypothetically, (laughs) everything reflects on you. And there's that shame. Yes. Yeah, that is such a good point. Like these things are institutionalized in other cultures in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly a a difference. But I have found that just being aware of that has made some of this more, more accessible. Oh, yeah, like, no, I I don't, I don't really want to be put to shame. (laughs) I hear the psalmist cry there. Yeah. Well, Well, shall we move on to our second question, which I'm really curious to hear kind of some of your reflections. What do we learn about God from this psalm? Yeah, so we learn uh, that God's a protector, especially from those metaphors we just mentioned, the refuge, rock, fortress, shelter metaphors. There's a lot of emphasis on God being a savior, so saving us, Mm -hmm. redeeming the psalmist, and setting the psalmist's feet in a broad place. I love that imagery. Oh, yeah. And a lot of discussion on just how much God loves us. And I, again, here comes some more numbers. I've heard a lot of number six echoes, like that priestly benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. So it talks about God's face or his favor shining on the psalmist in verse 16. He asks for God Mm. to be gracious in verse nine. So again, more of those kind of allusions to numbers in the wilderness. And then that kind of reminded me of bringing to the New Testament and how we see God in 
incarnate in the New Testament through Christ being perfect in the wilderness experience. So when Jesus mm. was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights with the devil, he was able to withstand all those temptations, whereas Israel couldn't. And so I kind of see this language of trusting in God and committing their the psalmist spirit into God's hands being fulfilled perfectly in Jesus because Israel was never able to do that. The psalmist was never able perfectly to do that. And then we see Jesus mm. doing it in the wilderness. And then also mic drop on the cross, right? Like, this is why I wanted to do this psalm, because when I <laughs> when I was looking at Psalm 22, of course, which Jesus quotes on the cross, and then he also quotes that line from Psalm 31, into your hands I commit my spirit. I just thought, wow, I want to I wanna explore that. What other images was he kind of bringing to mind? This, yes. And it seems yeah. like this ultimate trust in God, even in the hardest circumstance where Israel was never able to trust uh, perfectly. The, the other thing I thought about this, and let me try this on with you, and you tell me if I'm completely off base, but Psalm 31 is not a defeatist psalm. There is a real triumph. And I found in reading the psalm, it was really helpful because often I think when I read those words, into your hands I commit my spirit, it really felt like and this is just right my own language and the w- ways you carry it and the ways you come to it. It felt like that was a beautiful way of giving up. Uh, <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, what a poetic way of saying I'm done. <laughs> but instead, like Psalm 31, like those aren't the final words of Psalm 31. This is really in the midst of exactly what you're saying, a perfect trust. And in some sense, a confidence of what, like, I will be glad and rejoice in your love for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. In other words, it's not the enemies here have triumphed, but in fact, those very words of Jesus and using this psalm feels like it's pointing beyond, like there's there's almost more to come when you see the psalms being quoted, right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially with that last um, line in the psalm, be strong, let your heart take courage, all you who wait mm. for the Lord. So how is the psalmist able to trust and commend his spirit into the hands of God, even in the midst of all the suffering? Because he's waiting for the Lord. That's kind of trust as seen through the lens of time, you know? Thought that yeah. Was pretty cool. And I wonder, I don't know if it's just the, you know, I hear those words into your hands, I commit my spirit so often in kind of the Good Friday context where it's like the hope is dimming, you know, or off, like we have a tenebrae service where the candles get dimmed. So mm. it's just everything is feeling darker and darker. But reading this in Psalm 31, I found pretty illuminating, if you'll pardon the pun, in terms of, oh, wow, there, there's something more there. And I love the way that you put it in terms of perfect trust. Yeah, that's helpful, I think. Last question, shall we do it? Let's do it. All right, Libby, how does this psalm help us to pray? All right, and we kind of already talked a little bit about this kind of tension we see in the psalm where the psalmist is trusting God completely, perfectly, and yet and feeling that protection, but he's also still in distress. And so I saw, especially in verse 15, my times are in your hand like... God, you're ultimately the one in control here. My life is in your hand. But the very next line, he uses that hand metaphor again for his enemies. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. It's like, right now, I'm not feeling warm and fuzzy, and I'm not really safe, but I'm safe in your hands. Like, both of those can be true. And then you also see it in the... In the imagery where he says, I was beset as a city under siege. But then earlier in the psalm, he talks about how God set his feet in a broad place. How he can feel like mm. he's safe and in a broad place, but also like he's besieged and he's just, his enemies are all around him. And I just thought that was a really helpful way 
for us to recognize how we can pray with full trust in God, but recognizing that our circumstances might be feeling mm. very far from feeling safe, you know, and that both mm. of those. And then, then I think the key is that last line, wait for the Lord. We're in a period right now when we're waiting. It's not, we're not idly waiting. We're working towards um, redemption in God's creation, but there is this kind of already not yet. We, we have trust in God and yet we realize that we're still besieged like a city. That's helpful, Libby. That resonates so much. The words that I put to this is Psalm 31 felt to me like a kind of releasing prayer. And I think especially like the language into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then I really find interesting the verse six contrast. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. Mm. So like almost the contrast there of the releasing and giving over versus the ones who cling. Mm. Right. I don't want to be the one who kind of is holding on to this. But I yeah, this this image to me of releasing and letting go I think also requires that we recognize that there is something we have to release to God, right? If there is no distress, if there is no challenge, you really don't have to release in any ways. If you're not holding on to anything in the first place, but the reality is in our lives, right? There is so much. Yeah, that besieged is a great word. There's so much that besieges us, I think. And so, yeah, I was... I was thinking about the ways, too, that that invitation into releasing kind of allows helps allow us to occupy both spaces, you know, mm-hmm. where I find that really helpful because I think sometimes I get muddled in prayer in terms of how do I hold how do I hold those both? Like, it's almost like the, t- the tension can be overwhelming. Like, am I am I praising God for who he is or am I just dwelling on my circumstances? How do I, do I move back and forth like <laughs> like super quickly? And this image of kind of releasing and working by the spirit to come to a place of trust does feel like it like, oh, that's a that can be a landing place for that tension that I have to wrestle with and should bring in prayer as well. But I feel like that's been helpful for me in thinking about it. I don't know if that sounds right to you or if it I'm totally, off somewhere. It totally sounds right. And it's not something I initially recognized or thought about. But I think that releasing imagery is definitely kind of part of what the psalmist is communicating. And that's really helpful when we model our own prayers. Hmm. Libby, any final thoughts on this psalm? No, I just I just loved it. I appreciated it. I saw so many different connections even yesterday, and this will definitely timestamp the podcast, but yesterday when little Oliver was being baptized, I kept thinking about, wow, Matt and Rachel are committing his little spirit into the hands of God, and just mm. that's such a beautiful imagery of what salvation is for all of us and that trust. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, it's a sweet, I mean, yeah. I, obviously, I could probably do a whole podcast on Oliver's baptism and reflecting on that and thinking about it. But I do, I love what you said. There is a sense of, yeah, committing and also recognizing the other thing I like about it is recognizing, yeah, we can't raise him in God's family by ourselves. Mm. Right. That's one of the images we emphasize there is this is, this is about a community. And even the Psalm has an image of, of community, especially in kind of the last section and the invitation to all his faithful people in verse 23. Like we do this together, which is just a constant refrain, I think, of the Psalms, even as they have individual authors. But yeah, yeah. no, I mean, like I said, I could talk about Oliver's baptism a lot, but I'm grateful. (laughs) I'm grateful that we raise him together. Yeah, within a community and that we commit him in some sense, right, to Mm -hmm. people like you. We say, go listen to Livy. That'll be good for you. And I get to hold him. I get to hold him once a month in nursery. So fun. That's great. Well, Libby, thanks for this conversation. I appreciate it. I, you know, is there any, I just want to leave room here at the end of our podcast. If you want to reserve a future Psalm 
You know, we can just keep pinging our way through the Psalter. I, I should stop calling dibs on Psalms. I will let you surprise me next time <laughs> with a Psalm of your choice. Okay. You will definitely be back on the podcast, but it will be a surprise to the listeners when it happens. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks so much. Let's conclude. The whole Psalm has so much beauty in it, but these last lines of the Psalm, this communal call, I think is rich. So let's end with this. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Friends, go out and pray the Psalms. Mm-hmm.